Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Welcome to this week's episode of the Modern Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Cook. In today's episode, I have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Greg Hammer. He's an intensive care physician, Stanford University professor, and author of the book, Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Medical Professionals. Today, he shares with us his simple four-part framework for overcoming burnout and finding your healthy place. But before we hear that interview, I posed a question this week to diversity in the workplace expert, Irshad Manji. I asked her, how might a hiring leader consider someone's cultural fit on a team without leaning into biases? And here's what she had to say. In two words, confident humility. You as the hiring leader would be wise to show confident humility by asking one question at the end of the final interview with the candidate. About the process that my team and I took you through, has that process revealed any biases to you? You can assure the candidate that this is not a gotcha question, but one that you and the team would like to learn from in the spirit of being humble enough to be critiqued and confident enough to grow. Depending on how the candidate replies, you'll be able to gauge all kinds of things that show whether that candidate can embrace and even evolve the culture of the workplace. How does the candidate handle spontaneity and surprise? Do they see it as awkwardness or awesomeness or both? Do they seize on the opportunity to express themselves? And how do they express themselves? With humility of their own? With reckless abandon? Somewhere in between? Beauty is, the question itself leads to teachable moments for everyone. The candidate as well as the hiring team. And now, the interview with Dr. Greg Hammer. Well, Greg, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Mentor Podcast. I think that what you study and what you write about and what you focus on is timely always, but particularly so right now. What I would love to do is start with this concept of burnout. The idea of burnout, I think, is something we've heard a lot about, we've talked a lot about, and I think we use that word colloquially in conversation a good deal, but would love to get your expert point of view on what constitutes burnout and why in particular it seems to be on the rise right now. Sure. First of all, great to be with you, Rachel. Burnout, yes, I think it's one of those terms that does get thrown around a lot. What burnout means is really a state of emotional and physical exhaustion 
which is related to stress. People who are burnt out are often cynical. They tend to depersonalize. They have often low self-esteem. They're impatient. They may kind of blow up and be temperamental. Yes, it is a huge problem now as ever, but as you mentioned, I think since burnout is a stress-related phenomenon and the stress related to this COVID pandemic is so universal or at least global and so persistent, as we were discussing, we sort of set this interview up a few months ago and uh, things have not changed other than the fact that a couple of months has transpired and people have been under stress, which has now gone from acute stress to chronic stress, which has uh, significant deleterious physiologic effects. I'm curious about a couple of things that you've said. I'm a really big believer that we all have the power to define and achieve success on our own terms. And so if I'm talking to somebody in the context of their career, and they're describing themselves as being in a job that is analogous to this experience, right? I'm in this job and the stress is chronic and it's weighing heavily and I'm not sleeping well and I'm not eating well. I might advise them to really think about changing their circumstances. It might be time to look for a new opportunity, new boss, new career path. The reality of the COVID pandemic and where we are right now is a lot of the circumstances we're managing, we don't have the power to control. And so I think the only thing we can control is our behaviors, our response to it, the way we react and manage. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about how you're advising patients or people in your circle around how to navigate this moment and acknowledge the reality of the consequences and take them seriously, but also conduct ourselves in a way that keeps our health and wellness at the forefront. That's an excellent question. I think a couple of points sort of from the 30,000 foot view. And one is that we have a negativity bias. We tend to hold on to the negative things and let go of or forget about the positive things. And the other 30,000 foot view thing of import is that we tend to dwell in the past and the future. We talked about acute versus chronic stress, acute stress being adaptive in many cases, uh, dwelling in thoughts of the past may be adaptive when it comes to learning from our mistakes, for example, and also savoring wonderful memories that we've had. It may be adaptive to, to think about the future in terms of being optimistic about things, something that's going to happen and get together with family or a loved one or a, a vacation or what have you. And also we need to plan So we need to put bread on the table, et cetera. So those are adaptive considerations of the past and the future. But when we obsess or have our thoughts dwell excessively in the past and the future, and we combine that with our negativity bias, we tend to experience shame and regret, embarrassment when we consider the past and then in the future, we, we tend to be fearful and anxious and we tend to catastrophize. So there you have our negativity bias at play and our obsession with the past and the future. It may have been from an evolutionary standpoint beneficial to be constantly on the lookout. Maybe there's a saber toothed tiger lurking right outside the cave. We always have to be on guard, but we don't have to be in that situation generally anymore. I would emphasize the first thing is to kind of bring our focus back to the present. So when we find ourselves mired in negative thoughts of the past or the future, 
let's kind of catch ourselves and we can practice that and, and get better at doing that. Is this adaptive thinking or maladaptive thinking? And when it's maladaptive, bring it back to the present moment, which is really the only moment we ever truly experience it's right now. And when we're truly present, we're happy and we're not stressed. So when you think of moments where you are truly present, you're with a loved one, you may be having an intimate physical and spiritual emotional experience with somebody that you love. You sort of forget about the past and the future and you're just right there. When you listen to a timeless moving piece of music and Mozart would be one example for me, this amazing music that was written centuries ago, perhaps, and is still just so beautiful and resonant and moving. I tend to forget about the past and the future and just really go with the, the moment, with the music. Art, walking in nature. There are lots of examples we can think of where we feel truly present. And when we think of those moments, we think of happiness. We don't think of stress. So the first thing is to really try to bring our thoughts back to the present moment. I have specific contemplative guidelines for being present and letting go of stress. And those are exemplified by the title of my book, which starts with the phrase gain without pain. The gain is in capital letters and is an acronym for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. So when, for example, we feel the stress of the COVID pandemic and all of its myriad adverse effects on our lives, let's focus, for example, let's go to gain and focus on gratitude. Let's remember and learn about the great influenza pandemic of 1918. How much better we have it now than our forebears, our, our grandparents and great-grandparents did then. There was no internet. So we were physically and otherwise isolated back in 1918. And now you and I are meeting each other and having a lovely conversation and you can get in touch with people that you love and care about and have Skype sessions or other video chats. You can be connected. So you might be physically isolated, but you're not necessarily emotionally isolated. So that's something we have now that we didn't have a hundred years ago during similar circumstances. Medical care is so much better now. I mean, the medical care, availability of food, ability to connect with others, just so many things are better now. So let's be grateful for the good things we have and let's focus on what we have rather than having our negativity bias push us into thinking of what we don't have. And we could go through the GAIN acronym and I, and I would, you know, bring our uh, focus to the next thing, which is acceptance and I think it's important not to just repress painful thoughts. There's a lot of pain and suffering, which is inherently a part of life. I lost my son three years ago at the age of 29. There's nothing I can do about it. So with regard to acceptance, we need to discern between what we can change and what we cannot change. Things that we can't change, we need to sit and really open our hearts and bring those things closer and closer until we merge with them. In other words, we need to have total acceptance and not resistance. There's a formula in my book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance. We have a pain, whether it's a physical pain, you know, our knee hurts or it's an emotional pain, like 
my child is suffering or deceased, we can resist those thoughts and magnify our suffering. Or if it's something that we can't change, we can just open our heart and embrace it and accept it. It's uncomfortable at first, but I think we find that when we bring things closer and closer until there's really no, no separation, things are not usually quite as bad as we initially thought. So I think acceptance is key as well. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently. Acapella.edu. So what I think I hear you saying is that gratitude and acceptance, sometimes those can seem in conflict with each other, right? How do I accept the bad and feel grateful at the same time? But I hear you saying that it actually is possible and it's actually where we should be investing our energy. So we can simultaneously say this pandemic is bad, I'm overwhelmed, I'm trapped at home, I haven't seen my family, there's a lot that I'm afraid of, and I, but I am going to accept all that, and at the same time, be grateful that I do have a home, and I am safe, and I haven't seen my parents, but I can Zoom with them, and I can talk to them on the phone, and I do have access to some of the basic necessities that maybe people in 1918 wouldn't have access to. And so it's not gratitude with the intention of washing away what's hard. It's it's sort of gratitude as a companion to acceptance. Is that a fair way to think about it? Exactly, Rachel. I think you did a good job interpreting that. I, the elements of gain, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment are all interrelated. Yes, we can be grateful for what we have and accept the discomfort or pain associated with what we don't have. But when we, we need to be adaptive in our framework of thinking. And that, and that's something that we can discuss under the next part of the acronym, which is intention. Things could be a lot worse and we could be grateful for that. We should be grateful for that. And so when we're dwelling on, Oh, woe is me, you know, catch yourself doing that and then just turn your attention to gratitude. Right now, I'm grateful for X, Y, and Z. I accept the pain and suffering of A, B, and C. Intention is essential, for example, to mindfulness, which means that we can be purposeful in guiding our thought processes. So we discussed the fact that we have this negativity bias, but we can modify that. We can actually retrain or rewire our brains to transcend this negativity bias. A good example of how we can use our purposeful nature and intention to rewire our brains is 
manifest in a project that's been ongoing at Duke University for several years. I, I think it's still going on, but one can search three good things, Duke University, and they've had a study that you can join actually virtually. The idea basically is that we think of three good things before we go to sleep at night. Instead of taking stock of our day and thinking of all the things that went wrong and that we regret and, oh, I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have said that or this didn't work out, think of three positive things. So, for example, I know tonight I'll think, what a beautiful day in Northern California it is today. I hope to go for a bike ride. I'll be grateful for the ability to do that as I'm seven weeks out from a big back operation. I'll think of our conversation and meeting you today, Rachel. That will be on my list of good things for today for sure. So what they found in this study at Duke is that simply by thinking of three good things before we go to sleep, our sleep is improved and we become happier. So that is an excellent example of intention, simply by being purposeful about what we think about for 15 seconds at the end of the day can actually start to rewire our brain toward a more positive and happy and resilient outlook. That sounds like a really lovely way to end the evening and to enter into sleep. And I think it's really important. You know, there are a lot of, how do I say this? Almost snake oil sales men and women out there who I think lean very heavily on some of these concepts of mindset and just think it and just imagine it. And by the way, if you don't end up manifesting the outcome, you were doing it wrong. But I think, you know, what you're giving us is is a medical point of view. There is legitimate science behind what you're telling us. And I think that's a really powerful thing for us to keep in mind. We may not be able to control our natural biases or inclinations, but we certainly can control our actions and behaviors. So that's a really helpful framing for thinking about the end of the day. Absolutely. Well, I think that we can also modify or change our biases also. When we find that we're having judgmental, biased thoughts, we can recognize that we're doing that and then kind of sit with it for a moment. Is this really legitimate? This person that I was judging may be just the most beautiful person there ever was. I'll give you an example and we'll get into non-judgment here. I work at the Children's Hospital at Stanford as a pediatric intensive care physician and anesthesiologist, and I have a research lab there as well. I get to ride my bike to work. Every day I go through this beautiful lane that's rather narrow. It's covered with a beautiful canopy of tree leaves and branches, and it's just lovely. And sometimes the sun is coming up, and, and it's beautiful. And then as I'm riding down this lane, I encounter a person who's walking on the path in the same direction I'm going. And then I notice they're kind of in the middle. Why are they walking in the middle? They're, they're going to be in my way. And then as I get closer, I see they're looking at their screen. And then I see that there are buds in their ears. And I'm thinking, wow, this person's walking down this beautiful lane with the new sunlight of the day filtering through the leaves. And why are they looking at their screen? So I start to make all these judgments. And then I catch myself because I just did my gain meditation and I committed to being as non-judgmental as possible. And maybe, you know, I, I recommend that people pick one of those items of gain and, and have a goal for the day. I'm going to be non-judgmental of the first person I see that I find a little bit annoying. So here I am. I'm riding my bicycle. I'm getting closer to this person. I just realized I started to make these judgments and assumptions and maybe biases. So as I catch myself doing that, I let go of those judgments and... As I'm riding past the person, I look at them and smile, and they look up at me and smile, 
And lo and behold, it was a really pleasant experience. That's a great example. I appreciate your sharing it. What I appreciate most is that in that example, you yourself, as the owner of this framework, are not perfect, and you're still growing and evolving and having self-awareness, and I think that that's a really helpful picture. We can talk about my other imperfections <laughs> offline, because I'm certainly far from perfect, Rachel. I can't imagine that. So we've been talking about this GAIN framework, but you've now used the word meditation or practice a couple of times. And I would love it if you could give us a little bit of insight into, so how do we take these four pieces? So let me practice. It's gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. Is that right? Yes, it is. Now, how do we take those four pillars or buckets and turn that into a practice? What, what does that look like for you, if you wouldn't mind sharing? And what do you think is a good way for people to get started using it? You know, I've been teaching this gain meditation to my students, residents, and fellows. And at the end of my talks and with my trainees, I do a brief meditation. And the idea is that we learn in small increments. So, and we don't necessarily in medicine and in other busy professions, including parenthood, have time to go to a yoga class or sit for 30 or 45 minutes or what have you. So I sort of devised a three minute version of the gain meditation. And I strongly recommend that people learn about it and they practice it. And so for me, I get up in the morning, I open the blinds. So I sit, I have a little uh, singing uh, bowl that I wrap with a mallet and I get into my breathing. So I just slowly inhale through my nose to a count of three, pause to a count of two and without effort, let the breath go to a count of four. When we slow our breathing down and get focused on it, it's really the basis for many kinds of meditation and just mindfulness practice get into your breath. So I do that a few times. It slows the breath down. It brings down the heart rate and the blood pressure. It lowers the adrenaline in our body, actually. So I'll do a few cycles of this conscious breathing, and then I'll start to simply contemplate with uh, G as the first in the gain letters, gratitude. I will contemplate for 30 or 45 seconds for what I'm grateful. And I'm grateful for my beautiful daughter, for the 29 years I had with my beautiful boy. I'm grateful to have a beautiful home. I'm grateful to have good health. I'm grateful to work in a wonderful place. I mean, the list goes on. And I'm just doing this with my breath. And then I transition to acceptance and I actually visualize opening my heart to things that are painful. And usually my son's death is the first thing. And I bring that closer and closer until I merge with it, until there's really no separation between that painful experience and that thing I call me and also bring in other things, you know, the pain and suffering that so many people are going through right now with COVID people have lost their jobs, etc. So uh, then I will transition to intention. And I often go back to three good things that happened the day before. And I use my purposefulness to focus on, Again, these things are interrelated. I focus on the things that I have, all the wonderful elements in my life that I just practice my gratitude thinking about. So I recognize my intention and my ability to think of these things that I have, this wonderful set of circumstances I have, 
And I can, I'm mindful about actually guiding my thought process toward those things. And then the non-judgment we talked about briefly, I, you know, we, we are constantly comparing things. We're constantly comparing ourselves to other people. And we're often very harsh on ourselves. Sometimes we say, oh, I'm better looking than that guy or, oh, I'm smarter than they are. But a lot of the time it's the other way around. You know, we're feeling inferior. Our negativity bias creeps in again and we're very harsh and judgmental of ourselves. So when I do my 30 or 45 seconds of non-judgment contemplation, it's seeing the world exactly as it is and not labeling it as good or bad, even though there's a lot of pain and suffering, there's a lot of joy, and it's just the way the world is. It's the way life is. We didn't make it that way. We're not going to change it substantially. Let's just not judge it and embrace it. And, you know, then I go back to my breath for a few cycles of that three, two, and four count, and and then I slowly open my eyes. And usually in concert with doing that, as I open my eyes, I will pledge to myself, for example, to be non-judgmental of the first person that I interact with who might be doing something that bothers me. Like if I were driving to work, somebody changing lanes in front of me without using their turn signal, for example, then catch myself and say, you know, that could have been me. They're distracted or what have you, but it's not neither good nor bad. I'm not going to judge that. And pick out one thing maybe in the beginning that you're going to focus on that day. So these principles are always with us. We can always drop in on them and use them as tools to bring us to the present moment with a positive mindset. And that is the antidote to stress. Beautifully said. It sounds like a lovely practice. And if I were now to imagine picking out some of the pearls of wisdom I think you just shared and maybe thinking about the audience of this show and how they might apply it, I might imagine somebody who is at home on conference calls with toddlers crawling all over them and kind of feeling like they're losing their mind. And maybe there are moments of, okay, I'm, I'm grateful I have a job. I'm grateful I'm with my children. I accept that these are really hard times. I'm not going to judge myself for getting frazzled or getting frantic, but I am going to try to stay present and kind of keep a bit of a balanced perspective. Take small bites, but do it daily. So do your three-minute gain meditation every morning. You know, don't expect that you're going to change the way you think overnight. So just don't have expectations. Don't judge yourself. Take small bites. So you look at your toddler and you can say as they run across the floor and you notice they've got a full diaper, oh, how annoying I've got to change their diaper. Or you can reroute your thought process and think that is such a beautiful little toddler and you know, soon he'll be grown and not long thereafter, he'll be out of the house and how beautiful he is right now. So just take small bites, a little bit at a time. If you do one little transition a day, that's a victory. I love it. And I always tell my clients, momentum begets momentum, right? You just, one win a day is all you need. Maybe tomorrow you get two and it just becomes a practice over time. Yes, I think, you know, when you look back after three or six months of, of practice, you'd be amazed at how much progress you've made. Beautiful. 
So is there any last thoughts you have, Greg, before we bring this conversation to a close? Any last bits of wisdom or advice or encouragement you would bring to anybody who's feeling whatever their version of overwhelmed or afraid or burned out right now? Remember, we're not alone. We're all in this together. We're all experiencing the the stress of COVID, uh, whether we're employed or not, or parent of a young child or not. Uh, we all, in our own ways, are are going through this time together. And let's just remember, we're all connected and we're not alone. We share this experience. There really is a, a loveliness in there, isn't there? I think so, yes. I think connectedness, we, we, uh, we have this framework of thinking of ourselves as separate little selves. But actually, you know, we're really all connected and and we're connected with not only each other, but with everything. So... I suppose that would be my closing thought, Rachel. Well, it has been my great pleasure connecting with you, Greg. I so appreciate your time and your wisdom here today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure, Rachel. Whether you're personally feeling overwhelmed or you know someone who is, I hope you took some comfort and wisdom from Dr. Hammer's work. Have a question I can answer? Send it my way. Check out all the links in my bio for all the ways you can reach me. You can also check out my website, at leadabovenoise.com or follow me on the Modern Mentor podcast page on LinkedIn where I share exclusive videos, insights, and more. Join me next week for another great episode. Until then, thanks so much for listening and have a successful week. Modern Mentor is produced by Dan Firebend, edited by Karen Hertzberg and supported by the rest of the Quick and Dirty Tips team, which includes Michelle Margulis, Morgan Ratner, Emily Miller, and our Vice President of Podcasting, Kathy Doyle. Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.